I think the Beatitudes are less a program for righteousness and more a word of consolation. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Justin Crisp, lecturer in Anglican Studies, and Abdul Rahman Malik, associate research scholar and lecturer in Islamic Studies. They're discussing Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, which is appointed for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany in year A. Here's the text. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Justin, what really struck me about this, this, this passage or these passages is the repetition of the term kingdom of heaven. You know, the, the sermon begins with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we have all kinds of elucidations of God's mercy and compassion and what comes to those who, who, who suffer and are meek and are righteous and are merciful, et cetera, et cetera. And then we return Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And and coming at this text fairly, in a, in a fairly fresh way, the repetition of the term kingdom of heaven really intrigued me. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks for that, AR. I think that you've really put your finger on something very important about the Beatitudes here in Matthew's gospel. The Beatitudes are about what blessedness actually consists in, right? And you can think of Jesus, I think, as making an intervention of a kind in a marketplace of other philosophies which are on offer, right? So, the Epicureans, for instance, have a definition of blessedness which is about material pleasure. And here, you have a kind of, well, this is not straight up stoicism, Right. This is not like, uh, you know, if you're perfectly serene and you're, you're self-contained, then that's real blessedness. It seems that one's circumstances, right, if one is actually poor in spirit, if one is mourning, if one is meek, if one is hungry or thirsty for righteousness, etc., that, that this worldly condition really does matter. But Jesus is opening up the horizon of that this worldly condition to a next worldly condition, as it were, to whatever it, whatever it is that he means by the kingdom of heaven. He's opening up what we could think of as an eschatological horizon behind the this worldly circumstances of the, of the poor in spirit, of those who mourn, of the meek. Uh, one of the, the repetition that I'm obsessed with is the word will, 
right? <laughs> they will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled, etc. It's that future orientation is the promise-like character of the Beatitudes that I've been circling around well, myself. Well, it's, it's interesting that you, you speak about the will because what happens when those who are mourning do not feel comforted? And what about those who are meek and they remain meek and they don't inherit the earth? I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by what is being suggested here. Are we talking about something transactional? Is it if I embody these spiritual values, these spiritual conditions, this way of being in the world that I will receive in the world? Or are we really thinking about, as you said, the world, the 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 world beyond? And I think that that for me is a is a really is a really interesting question. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you hit on it because it was it was niggling me in the in the back of my in the back of my mind. And you've given it you've given it sort of contour here. I'm with you. I had the same kind of question and the same kind of discomfort actually with the beatitudes with the with their transactional character, as you put it. So I'm confessionally, I, I'm a Protestant. And so any kind of transaction, right, between a human being and God, I'm like, well, the human being is going to turn out to be on the losing end of of any such transaction. The losing end so far as the human being has nothing, nothing that we could possibly offer to God, right? Uh, on the winning side of that transaction so far as God is gracious and loving and merciful, etc. But this kind of language where, you know, if one just slots oneself into the position of the meek, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, right? Then one gets to inherit the kingdom of heaven. It, it smacks a little bit too much of works righteousness for my liking. But what I think is going on here is that Jesus is acknowledging the fact that this life goes wrong in a thousand different ways. And there's something about the hope for God's future that is supposed to put that in a new kind of perspective. One doesn't simply have to have a stiff upper lip about it. One can have, one can have hope, right? And be fully engaged in all of these sufferings, be fully engaged in all of this work, and know that it has value with the divine. And that, that, that there is something very profound that is coming from God in return for, for traversing through these, these trials. But coming back to the point about the kingdom of heaven, it seems to me that if we were to place, and maybe this is wrong, maybe we shouldn't, if we were to place a hierarchy on these physical, spiritual conditions— Poverty and persecution seem to be the, the conditions which allow or open the door to the kingdom of heaven as no other condition does. They are in some ways the most difficult, aren't they? It's not just, you know, poverty and spirit. That's an interesting term as well. But, but certainly persecution, and then the, the last two verses here, 11 and 12, are all about persecution and all about engaging persecution and knowing that if one is persecuted against for their righteousness and for their belief that they truly will have this, this, this great reward. I mean, obviously, Jesus is signaling uh, a future for his followers, for his people, for those who walk in his path, that, that persecution and poverty and difficulty uh, awaits them. So, I think he's certainly signaling that. But it's so interesting to me that the kingdom of heaven is unlocked by poverty and persecution and the experience of it in a particular spiritual way. Right. And that's exactly why I think the Beatitudes are less a program for righteousness and more a word of consolation. Because there are the poor in spirit exist, in fact. The persecuted exist, in fact. In the Catholic tradition, the option for the poor 
in particular, made a great deal of particularly by Latin American theologians and so on, people, the founders of liberation theology like Gustavo Gutierrez. And one of the things that Gutierrez speaks about is that, yeah, God's love is universal, sure, but God loves the poor first. And so, in that sense, in that sense, God does take a side in history, as it were. And the Beatitudes are, are putting on display God's side and God's promise for those who are on God's side. How to square that with the simultaneous affirmation of the universal character of God's love is, of course, uh, another question. Then you begin to think like, oh, oh gosh, well, am I on the right side of history or the wrong side of history? Who, gets, who counts as persecuted so, and so, so let, on? So, let's, let's push that line because I find that really fascinating. Could it be that what Jesus is trying to tell us here is, yes, those who are mourned will be comforted, the meek will inherit the earth, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yet, if your mourning, your meekness, your hunger, your showing of mercy, your purity, and your becoming a peacemaker push you to the edge or indeed into poverty and persecution— then you have the kingdom of heaven. That, that each of these spiritual states reaches its highest point in the experience of poverty and to the point of persecution, boring on that liberation theology language that indeed one can be merciful, but there's a point at which we express mercy that it becomes more than just expressing mercy. It becomes a challenge to power. Blessed are the peacemakers, of course, who bring people together, but then there's those peacemakers who push their desire for peace until it challenges those in power, and then the kingdom of heaven opens to them. That's an interest. I, I mean, in light of what you just said, that's that's the way I'm thinking about it. In a way, that how how do we push ourselves spiritually and through actions and righteousness to that point which we experience poverty and persecution for the sake of God, and we receive the kingdom of heaven because of it. Mm. Well, if you think about Jesus' own life, if according to Christians, Jesus is a human being fully alive, as it were, this is what it really looks like to be in right relationship with God insofar as being in right relationship with God is the key to flourishing as the kind of creature human beings are created to be. If you look at how Jesus' life ends up in the world, right, it's it's a story quite like the one which you just told. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I love it. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Professors Crisp and Malik, for your insight on Matthew. For a transcript of this episode and lots more Bible study resources, visit YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season. Season.